If you're new with us today, I just want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. My name is Daniel. Uh, I'm so honored that you'd be here this morning with us. And if we haven't met yet, I'd love to meet you after service. So stick around if you want to. If you want to just, you know, uh, dart out of here, that's okay too. But I'd love to meet you and chat with you a little bit. Uh, last week, Emily and I, my wife Emily, who was sharing before, we were on vacation. And it was such an amazing time for us. We really needed the rest. Um, I think sometimes we don't know how much we need the rest until we get the rest. And we feel how or how different things are after the rest than they were before. And I can just feel a sense of renewal and recharging. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for Katie Boldy, or Pastor Katie Boldy, who preached last week. It's a good word. Uh, and one of the things we try to do on vacation is read as much as possible. Okay, I love to read. If you go in my office right now, I'm putting up new bookshelves. So I just got books like all over the place. And I love to read, but I don't get to read very much right now in our season with having two kids under two and a half or, or two and a half and under. It, it is a crazy time at our house. If you come at any time when they're awake, it's just crazy. And I don't have a lot of time to read. So when we're going on this vacation without the kids, I'm like, I'm excited. I'm going to bring as many books as I can. So I think I got like seven to 10 books. I don't remember exactly, but there's a lot of books I had. A couple leadership books, I had theological books that dig deeper into the Bible, I had Christian living books, I had a marriage book, and I even brought a fiction book, even though I don't really read fiction, I brought The Hobbit just because it felt like, hey, maybe I'm going to feel like reading The Hobbit on the beach, I don't know. So we brought all these books, and uh, there's so many books that our uh, suitcase reached the, the weight capacity. Actually, I think we went a pound over, but, you know, blessing from the Lord, they let us put it on the plane, so, but I was prepared for my trip. I was prepared, I was pumped for for my personal promised land of four days with my wife on the beach with books. And as the trip got going and we found ourselves enjoying time swimming and, and talking to each other, uh, we didn't have as much time to read as I expected. And I quickly realized that I was not going to be able to read all of my books. And I think I got through one book. I finished one that was almost done and then I read another book. Uh, let's just say, though, that I overprepared for this trip. And, and maybe you're like me and you overprepare. Like you just pack way too much stuff when you go out of town. That's us. We're like six suitcase or you carry too much stuff in your pockets. Like I have like a stack of stuff on my counter in my kitchen. I put it all in my pockets. Headphones, a backup set of headphones, gum, keys. Like I, I put it all in my pockets. So before I come up to preach, you'll see me dropping stuff in my backpack just like just dropping it in there because I, I'm always overprepared bringing too much stuff with me. Or maybe you're someone who's underprepared usually. You kind of forget a lot of things. You don't really uh, think about what you might need. In the first century, when Jesus arrived on the scene, God sent someone named John the Baptist or, or John the Baptizer just before Jesus so that he could get the people of Israel prepared for Jesus' coming. And just like I wanted to be prepared for my trip, God wanted the Israelites to be prepared for his long-awaited coming in Jesus Christ. He, he wanted their hearts to be soft and receptive to the message that Jesus would bring. And John's arrival on the scene was a gigantic shock to the Israelites. It was like a splash of cold water when you're sleeping. If you've ever had that, I don't know if that happens for people, but you're sleeping, someone wants to wake you up and they throw water on you. Maybe that happened back when you were a kid or something, but it's unexpected. It's startling. And they weren't ready for what God was going to do in Jesus. And, and John's job was to get them ready. His job was to get them ready by leading them to turn from the ways that they were doing things. And I think as we jump into this text this morning, as we continue our Gospel of Mark series, I think the question we need to consider is how would we receive John's message? How would we feel about some crazy dude, and we'll see he's crazy here, coming out of nowhere and calling us to change our whole way of thinking and doing things. Like saying, change everything you've ever done. How would you feel about that? Would you listen to the message, or, or would you ignore it? Would you keep doing your own thing? Would you change? Would you be ready for God to come in Jesus? Would you be ready for, for what uh, John was preparing 
us for? And if not, would you do what it takes to be ready? Would you be willing to, to make those adjustments? So the sermon title today is The True Promised Land. And, and I don't think we'll quite understand why it's called that until the end of the sermon, so hang with me. But it's called The True Promised Land. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Uh, we got through verse 1 two weeks ago before my vacation, uh, and it was incredible. There's a lot packed in that first verse. We got through the very first verse, and you know, at the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, uh, the Son of God, and we saw that with Jesus, a new beginning is possible. We saw that Jesus is gospel. He is the good news. We saw that Jesus is the Messiah. He is uh, the Son of God. We saw in general, or in summary, that Jesus is the king we've always needed. Maybe we didn't know we needed him, but Jesus is the king we've always needed. He is the answer. And if you missed that message, I encourage you uh, to go back and listen. But now we're going to get to verse 2, where Mark uh, or starts his narrative. He starts the story. And he doesn't start with Jesus, though. He starts with John the Baptist, who we were just talking about. And again, he starts with John the Baptist because he was the forerunner. He was the preparer for Jesus. He had to come first if people were going to be ready for Jesus. So let's read it, verse 2 through 8. It's going to be a fun day. So buckle your seatbelts. I'm excited for what God's going to do. It says this in verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. In the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. And John appeared, so John's that messenger, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And now John was clothed with camel's hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, or stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And some other texts will, or other gospel passages will say the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, so let's pray over this quick and then see what God has for us. So Jesus, we just thank you for today. God, I thank you for everyone who's here this morning. I thank you for new friends who are here today. And I pray that you would just speak to us, Jesus. I, I pray that this would not be something that I just came up with, uh, that this would not be my own thoughts, but this would be your thoughts. God, we want to hear your heart for us today. So I pray that every heart in this room would hear what you have for them. It might look a little different for everybody, but I pray that you would speak to each heart in the way that we need to be spoken to. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the first point, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, is John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. Now, this seems like a very simple point, but it'll actually be our longest one of the day, as there's so much packed in this point. In verse 2 and 3, Mark quotes from the Old Testament because he wants the reader to know right away, because he's just starting his gospel, he wants the reader to, or to know right away that the story of Jesus is not separate from the story of Israel. The story of the New Testament is not separate from the story of the Old Testament. But Jesus is the climax of the story of Israel. He is the climax. of it. He's not doing something completely new. He is the fulfillment of the story of Israel. And Jesus, being an Israelite himself, he came to make right relationship with the God of Israel, or Yahweh, possible. That's what he came to do. Not just some vague God, but the God of Israel, the God we see in the Old Testament. He came to make right relationship with that God possible. And he actually was that God in the flesh. He was God, the God who says, I am who I am, the God who's in the burning bush, the God who parts the Red Sea, the God who does crazy, amazing things throughout the Old Testament. Jesus was that God in the flesh. That's mind-blowing. Think about the first readers who read this and saw that is who Jesus was. He's the God of Israel. He's Yahweh. That's Jesus. That would be mind-blowing. So 
So Mark wanted them to know that, that Jesus is the climax of that story, and that's why he grounds it in the Old Testament right away with this quote. If we're going to understand Mark's gospel, if we're going to understand the story of Jesus, then we have to understand the story of Israel. You know, just like if you're going to watch a movie, it's not ideal. Sometimes we do it if it's just on TV, but it's not ideal to start in the middle of the movie, right? Like you want to start at the beginning. You want to watch it from the beginning and then see the middle and then the end. If you want to truly understand Jesus, then you need to not just skip over the beginning. You need to not skip over the Old Testament. And again, that's why Mark is quoting it. So let's dig a bit into these uh, passages. It's actually interesting. So, or so he's not just quoting from one text. So it says, Isaiah says, but it's actually not just from Isaiah. It's a mashup of three different Old Testament texts. Okay, so that seems really weird for us as Westerners like to just say Isaiah said this, and then he's actually taking multiple texts from, from different parts of the Old Testament and mashing them together. That seems kind of weird, but it was a normal and okay thing to do in that day. And the reason why Mark only mentions Isaiah is Isaiah was the most important part of the quote that he's quoting, okay? So uh, let's read it one more time, verse 2 and 3. It says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Okay, so what I want to do is I want to read each of the three Old Testament texts that he's quoting from to see what Mark is trying to tell us. Again, we need to know the story before the story if we're going to understand the story. I don't know if that makes sense. But, but this is going to take a few minutes, and I just want to encourage you to hang with me. It might seem a little bit boring going through all these Old Testament texts, but I really think that God's going to speak through it. So the first one is Exodus chapter 23. So Exodus is the second book of the Bible, okay? So if you're new to the scriptures, it's the story of how God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt. So he delivers them from Egypt. He delivers them from, or from the grip of Pharaoh. He takes them out. He, he parts the Red Sea. They walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. He then takes them to a place called Mount Sinai where he gives them the Ten Commandments or shows them how they can live as God's people. And then they go and they wander through the wilderness for, or for 40 years. They finally get to the Jordan River and then God parts the Jordan River, so a second river he parts. They walk through, and they finally get into the promised land. That's the story of, of the Torah, or the first five books about part of the story. And it starts in Exodus. And Exodus 23 is right in the middle of that story. And it's where they're at Mount Sinai, and they're preparing to live in this promised land that God has promised. And they're preparing by receiving the law and learning to be God's people. So let's read verse 20. This is where Mark quotes from. It says, in chapter 23, verse 20, it says, Behold... I send an angel. Okay, so angel is actually the same word for messenger before you to guard you on the way. Okay, so Mark 1, 2 is a verbatim quote of this part here. So, so Mark is in, intentionally pointing to Exodus 23, verse 20. And then it says, and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. What's the place that God had prepared? Does anybody know? You can say it. Let's go. Promise land. He was in first service, so give him credit. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's my dad, so I can give him crap. But uh, I shouldn't say that. Yeah. Anyways, let's move on. So the point is, the place that they have prepared is the promised land, okay? So, or that God had prepared. So God tells the Israelites, he says, if you obey me, then I'm going to take you to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to drive out your enemies. I'm going to bless you. And if you simply follow this angel, if you simply follow this messenger, then you will get to where you need to go. It's important to understand that the story of the Exodus the story of how God freed them from Egypt and brought them into the promised land was one of the central stories for Israel. Okay, so you think about it as Americans. We just celebrated the 4th of July last week, and one of the central stories for us is the founding fathers writing the Declaration 
of independence and the Revolutionary War. These are stories that ground us as a country. But for Israel, one of the stories that grounded them, the central story was the story of the Exodus. They, they talked about it every year at the Passover. They would recount uh, the story of the Exodus. And there was even a sense that God was going to give them a spiritual Exodus in the future. It was a grounding story uh, for the people of Israel. So by quoting Mark 23, 20, Mark is saying that John the Baptist is going to function like that messenger who brought the Israelites into the promised land. So the question I have for you, and I'm going to put this on the screen just so you can see what I'm asking you, is why do you think Mark is equating John the Baptist with the angel who prepared the way for Israel to take the promised land? You don't have to answer this one out loud, but I want you to think about it. And I think by the end of the sermon, we'll get the answer to that question. But Mark is intentionally trying to say John the Baptist is like the messenger of Exodus 23. Okay, so now we're going to flip to Isaiah chapter 40. Bear with me, Isaiah chapter 40. It's about an inch over in your Bibles. Uh, you want to turn there, you can, or it's on the screen. I was going to turn there, but I'm preaching, and I don't want to get lost. I'm not going to turn there. I'll, I'll see it in my notes. But Isaiah 40, okay, so I, don't worry. I know where Isaiah is, but sometimes you can get, there'll be a deer in the headlights when you're preaching. Anyways, Isaiah uh, or 1 through 39, okay? So what is Isaiah 1 through 39 about? Well, uh, what's going on is, is um, Israel... So this part of the story takes place about 900 years after the Exodus, okay? And Israel was called to be God's chosen people. They were called to be a light to the nation. They were called to obey God with their whole hearts. And by the time we get to Isaiah, they have utterly failed at their calling. They are sinning. They are giving in to idolatry. They're oppressing the poor. And Isaiah is a messenger from God calling them to repent and to change their way of living. He's saying, you're doing it wrong. You need to change. And this is similar to what John the Baptist is going to do in Mark 1. We'll see in a minute. But in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, he's begging them. Isaiah is begging them to repent. And the threat, if they don't repent, is that they're going to get conquered by a foreign power, which is a big deal for Israel because it was all about the land. They get conquered by a foreign power and then exiled into that foreign land. And sadly, Israel does not heed Isaiah's call to repent. They don't listen to his call to change. And they get sent into exile, specifically to the nation of Babylon. And we've all done this. We've, we refuse to listen to God's warnings, and we sin, and we face consequences because of it. I can think of times where mentors have told me, don't do that. I'm like, I'm going to do it anyways. And then I'm like, shoot, why did I do that? I should not have done that. And this is what happens. God's telling them, do not do this. Do not continue sinning. Do not continue giving into idolatry. And because they don't listen, they get judged and, and they get exiled. But despite this, the beautiful thing about the God of Israel is he continues to try to make a way for them to be restored. He truly is, as we sang today, the way maker. He truly is the one who makes a way where there's no way. And the second half of Isaiah is written later. It's actually a break. There's Isaiah 39, and the second half is written later. It's after they're already in exile. They're already under oppression of Babylon. And because of their... So- And because of their disobedience, it seems like they're back in Egypt again. They're like, we're back to where we started. They're in slavery. God's glory has departed. And maybe you feel like that right now in your own life. Maybe you feel like you're in a spiritual Babylon or you're in bondage to something. God just seems to be absent in your life. If that's you, the message that we're going to see from Isaiah should be a great encouragement to you. In the midst of the desolation, Isaiah's tone shifts in chapter 40 from before saying, hey, repent, turn back, change your ways, you're going to get judged, to a tone of, hey, there's a promise in the future of restoration. It's more of a comforting tone. Although their situation seemed dark, there were still promises of a future where God's presence would return, and they would return to the promised land. Okay, verse 
Verse 1 of chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Okay, again, some of you maybe need to hear that this morning. God is not here to condemn you, but he wants to call you out of Babylon. He wants to comfort you. Verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Again, God wants to speak tenderly to you. Do you know that God's disposition towards you is one of of tenderness and long-suffering? He wants you to change and repent so that you can live the life that he's called you to live. Continues, and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. God wants to forgive them. He wants to forgive us. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And this is where we now get to our quote in Mark in verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. A highway for our God. Through the desert, God's going to build a highway back to the promised land. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All right, remember, they're in exile. They are away from the promised land. How does God go about comforting them? How does he go about speaking or tenderly to them in the midst of the exile? He says, I'm going to make a highway in the desert. I'm going to bring you back out of exile. I'm going to do another exodus. I'm going to get you back to the promised land. I will come back and dwell with you once again. Even though you've utterly missed it, I will come and set you free. I will come and commune with you again. This is God. This is what God is like. Even when we ignore him and don't listen to him, he's still making a way. Man, I love this Jesus. I love this God. I could just end this sermon right now because I'm so good. I love this God. This is Yahweh. This is Jesus. And we'll see that Jesus fulfills that. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Okay, so in a sense, what God is saying is that he's going to give them another exodus. He will make a way where there's no way. He's going to set them free just like he did in Egypt. But this time, God is not just dealing with the external condition of being enslaved to a foreign power. He's going to deal with the internal condition of sin. He's going to deal with the inward condition of being enslaved to sin. And their iniquity will be pardoned. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. All right, now we're going to turn to the last quote in Malachi 3. It happens to be the last prophet in the Old Testament. So right before Matthew, this one will be easier for me to to get to quickly. So I'm going to turn to it. It's right before Matthew. It's at the end of the Old Testament. It's in chapter 3. And at this point, some of Israel has returned to the promised land, but they are still waiting for God's glory to return and for God to deal with sin. They kind of got back to the promised land, but a lot of them weren't back, and it just wasn't ideal yet. Okay, so it says this in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming. The messenger's coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming. And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring in offerings of righteousness to the Lord. And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years, as in the days of the Exodus, as in the days when God's glory was with them. It's going to go back to that. This messenger who we see is John the Baptist and the Lord, who is Jesus, who's coming after, are going to make it where the offerings of God's people are pure once again. He's going to purify their hearts. But how is he going to do this? It says in verse 5, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the 
The sojourner and those who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Wait, you're going to purify the world through judgment? I don't, I don't like judgment. I don't think we like judgment a lot of times. But in this context, it's good news. He, he's going to deal, or through judgment, he's going to deal with injustice. He's going to deal with sin. He's going to deal with everything that's gone wrong in the world. All the brokenness, all the evil, all the things that make you mad. All the sin of our world will finally be dealt with. Like those things you hear about in the news, that's like, how can that happen? How can that happen if there's a good God? Which that's another sermon. Okay, we'll get to that someday, not today. But how can that happen? Well, God is going to deal with it. God will set everything right. And we see that in the New Testament, that the way that God does this through Jesus is Jesus takes God's judgment on himself. Okay, so on the cross, Jesus Christ pays for our sins, he pays the penalty for our sins, and he sets us free from the power of sin. He overcomes uh, sin through taking on sin. So the way to overcome it is take it on himself. And then he rises from the grave, showing that death has been dealt with once and for all. This is very good news for those of us and those of you who are hopefully going to trust in the Lord, who trust in Jesus, who, who put your faith in Jesus. This is good news. If you are in Christ, this is good news. Christ takes on all your judgment. He deals with all your sin on the cross. But if you don't know Jesus... If you haven't accepted the Messiah, this is not good news. Judgment is not good news. For those who refuse to repent, for those who refuse to live in God's good world, in his kingdom, this is bad news. If we don't trust in Jesus, if we don't trust in what he's done, if we don't let him be the king of our lives, we will be judged. And we will face what Malachi prophesies about here. Because for God to create a good and perfect kingdom and world, he has to get out all the sin, all the injustice. So for us to be able to live in that world, we need to get that out of us through Jesus. This is why, though, God wanted to send a messenger. This is why he sent John. He wanted to get us ready for Jesus. He wanted us to be prepared for his coming. He is the one who speaks tenderly. He's the one who gives compassion and grace. He wanted us to repent. He wanted us to change and escape his judgment. After Malachi's prophecy and the close of the Old Testament, God goes silent for 400 years. There's no more scripture written, no prophets, nothing. God is silent. In the meantime, although some of Israel was back in the promised land, geographically speaking, they continued to be dominated by foreign powers, and their longing for God to send a Messiah to set the world right was growing. They were longing, like, God, send a king, send someone to save us. But, but they were thinking that God was going to save them in a different way by, by taking down Rome and setting up a kingdom on earth right now. But the point is they were longing for this. They were desperate for Malachi's promised to come true and for God to judge the wicked. They just happened to think that the wicked were other people and not them. They didn't know that they needed to change, but they're longing for that. They're longing for God to be present with them. And then after 400 years of silence, God finally begins to come through on his promises. John the Baptist, the messenger, the angel of the Lord, as Exodus 23 would call him, finally comes. He prepares the way for God to come back and restore the world. Imagine if someone important was coming over to, or to dinner at your house. Okay, so maybe it's the president of the United States. Or maybe you don't like the president. Maybe the last president. Maybe the one before that. I don't know. Whoever you like, whatever president is your dude, and that person's coming, and you're like, I got to get this house ready. Or maybe it's like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. You're like, I got to get ready for him to come. I got to work out, get strong for him. Or maybe it's Justin Bieber. You start practicing your vocals so you can sing background with him. I don't know what it is, but the point is, if someone important is coming over, you're going to prepare for it. You're going to be ready for it. You know, there's a joke in Britain that wherever the queen goes, she smells fresh paint. 
Wherever she goes, it smells great. There's fresh paint on the walls. This is what John came to do. He's saying, get ready. God is on the way. Don't let this be a shock for you. Don't let yourself have bad paint, chipped up paint on the wall. Put deodorant on. Put your pants on. Get ready. God's coming. And all John does to get people ready is he uses his voice. He cries out. And the fact that God could use John or that John could be used by God by simply using his voice is deeply, deeply encouraging to me. In verse 6, we see that he's kind of a weird guy. He was clothed in camel's hair. He hung out in the desert by himself and ate locusts and wild honey, which I've heard locusts are actually pretty good. In some parts of the world, they eat it. I'm not going to try it anytime soon, but hey, maybe it's good. But the point is, God can use a weird, crazy dude to prepare the way for his coming. If God can use a weird guy, then he can use me. I'm kind of weird. If God can use a weird guy, he can use you. You might be a little weird. I'm not saying you are. That's your thing, but whatever. If God can use weird people, or if God can use him, he can use us. That's the point. All we have to do is walk in the footsteps of John and use our voice. Just as John prepared the way, or prepared the Israelites for God's coming in Jesus, we can prepare the way for Jesus in Cedar Falls, or Waterloo, or Evansdale, or Parkersburg, or Elk Run Heights, or wherever you live. You can prepare the way for Jesus by using your voice. We can share what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection. The fact that he's overcome death, sin, hell, and the grave. We can share that with our community. We can share that he has dealt with sin through securing our forgiveness and giving us power over our sin. We can share that Jesus is now sitting at the right hand of God and he is ruling and reigning and he's getting ready to come back and set the world right once and for all. We can share that. We can also share testimonies of of the things that God has done in in our lives. I just want to tell you, God is on the move in our church. Just this morning, just the last few days, I've heard stories of people in our church being healed. I've heard stories of God giving visions. God is on the move, right? So share that with somebody. Say, God did this in my life. Share your testimony of how Jesus saved you. Just use your voice. Do not be silent. Cry out like John the Baptist said. He is coming. John is an example to us. We must use our voices. So the question I have for you is, how might God be calling you to use your voice this week? You know, maybe you're called to share your faith with someone at work. You've been praying about it. It's time to do it. Or maybe you need to share your faith with a family member or someone in your friend group. Or maybe God's inviting or calling you to invite someone to church. Can I get an amen, somebody? Come on, let's invite people to church. I want to get that spirit in our church. We're inviting people to come see what God's doing. There's no more powerful of a witness than for people to come in and see what God is doing amongst his people. Let's invite people to church. I'm excited for this fall as the students come back and as we have some events that we're planning, I have to really invite our community to check out what God's doing. But the point is, it doesn't have to be invited to church, but you have to use your voice. You have to use your voice. You have to speak for God. You have to be his mouthpiece in the world and say, Jesus is coming. Jesus came already for you. Share that with your friends. God has called us to prepare the way for his coming in our community. Okay, so John prepared the people for Jesus by using his voice, but what specifically did he tell them to do? Well, in verse 4, it says this, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so John used his voice specifically to call people to repent and be forgiven. And this would have been radical at the time, as forgiveness could only be found before by offering a sacrifice in the temple. But John's saying, you don't got to do that anymore. Just get baptized, confess your sins, and you can be forgiven. That's a profound message for them to hear. 
And people like the message because you see here in verse 5, it says, all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. The second point this morning is this. The proper response to the coming of Jesus is to be baptized and to turn from our old ways. Okay, so the people get prepared for Jesus by repenting, by confessing their sins and being baptized. It appears that there were tens of thousands of people who came out and responded to John's message. And there's some evidence that when non-Jews would convert to, or convert to Judaism, that they partook in a sort of baptism or a water cleansing. But Jews were never baptized as they thought that they were right with God because they were Jewish. I'm a Jew, of course I'm right with God. And the fact that Jews were being baptized in John's ministry shows the sheer power of his message. Being a Jew was not enough anymore. They could not rely on the fact that they were sons and daughters of Abraham and a part of God's chosen people. They needed to personally be right with God. God's presence was coming, and they needed to get ready. In the same way for us, being born in a Christian family or attending church once in a while or behaving better than our friends is not enough. We must get right with God ourselves. We each have a responsibility to respond to this message and say, I need to get right with God. In Luke 3, 8 and 9, this is John, he's preaching here. It's the same story, but just there's a little bit more detail. In verse 8 and 9, he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to, or to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay, so we must bear fruit with our repentance. We can't just say, yeah, I believe in Jesus and nothing changes. We need to turn from our ways, meaning we, we can't just say we're sorry for our sins, but we have to actually ask God to change us. We must let God do a work in our lives. We must let, or we must let God take full leadership of our lives. Okay, so in Mark 1, they got ready by being baptized. Okay, so just as Israel had to go through the Red Sea to be free from Egypt, they needed uh, to go into the waters of baptism to be ready for God's coming. But not just that, they needed to repent. They needed to turn from their old way. They needed to turn from their ways of doing things and change their way of thinking. Okay, so when I was in high school, I played football. And I only weighed 180 pounds, but I was too slow to do anything fun. So I didn't get to play running back. I tried. Couldn't play. I, I, I stunk at throwing the ball, too, so I didn't get to play quarterback. Point is, I had to play offensive line, uh, where all the guys were like 220 or over. I was like the smallest guy. And I Ended up, you know, getting some playing time during my junior year, not because I was good, but because we didn't have any good players. Uh, and I really wanted to start my senior year. I was like, this would be the dream. You know, when you're in high school, it's just like stuff like that is like, that's the promised land. I get to play football and start like, wow, all the girls will love me. They're going to put my name on. They're going to paint uh, my, my number on them, whatever. The point is, I'm getting on a side note here. It's getting close to lunch. But uh, the point is, I was pumped. I'm like, coach, how do I get ready? I'm ready. I'm going to be the best offensive lineman you've ever seen. He said, well, you got to get bigger. I was like, well, okay, well, how do I do that? I've been working out every day. It doesn't seem to be working. You know, what do I do? And he's like, well, you need to get on the seafood diet. I'm like, really? I got to start eating fish, you know, all this stuff. Like, what's that look like? And how does that help? He's like, no, the seafood diet. Meaning if you see food, you eat it. You need to eat more food. You don't eat enough. And I considered his uh, proposal. And, but the problem was when I was younger, so when I was in middle school, I was pretty insecure about my weight, you know, because I was a little bit overweight, a little chubby, just a little chubby. And I trained myself to be a little bit conscious about the food I would eat, okay? And for me to take his advice, I'd have to change my whole way of thinking and relating with food. If you're wondering, I, 
I did not take his advice, and I just ended up being a tiny offensive lineman who got smashed a lot. But hey, our team went one and eight or two and seven. I forget what it was, but we, we won two games, so praise the Lord, okay? So, and we want to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. Probably my fault, but okay. If we want to be prepared for the coming of Jesus in our lives, we have to admit that our way does not work and come to the end of ourselves. We have to humble ourselves before God, renounce our old ways, and confess our sins to the Lord. We have to listen to coach's advice. Eat the food. We have to do what he's saying. We have to identify with Jesus in the act of baptism to show that as we go under the water, we're showing we've died with Christ. As we come up from the water, we're showing we've been raised to new life with Christ. If, if you have put your faith in Jesus and you're a follower of him and you have not been baptized, I encourage you to get baptized on August 1st. Praise God. But baptism, it doesn't save us, but it's a sign to the world that we are with Jesus. It's saying, I'm with him. It's putting Jesus' name on the back of our jersey saying, I'm with him. Okay, the people that John baptized, they did not understand all of what baptism meant, but they just knew that they needed to turn around and get their lives cleansed. And they knew that John's ministry and his baptism were significant and were preparing the way for God. And they knew, they knew our way is not working. We need some answers, and they were looking for those answers in John. If we want to be prepared for what God wants to do in our lives, we have to reject sin. We have to say we're done with that. We have to embrace humility before God and utterly surrender ourselves to him. Okay, so so far we've seen that John was preparing the people for God's arrival in Jesus. We've seen that he prepared them by saying, hey, renounce your old ways. But what exactly was Jesus coming to do? And if you've been sleeping this whole time, hey, it's all good. But I think this part might be good. Okay, so verse 7 and 8. So jump in with me again. Mark 1, verse 7 and 8. It says this. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Third and final point this morning, and I promise we're going to lunch soon, is I, or as we turn from our old ways, Jesus will take us to the true promised land. Okay, so earlier in our discussion on Exodus 23, verse 20, I asked the question, I said, why do you think Mark is equating John the Baptist with the angel who prepared the way for Israel to take the promise? And why do you think uh, they said that he was that same character in a different way? Well, I think that now that we've worked through our text, we see the answer to that question. Just as the angel made the first exodus possible and led them to the promised land, John the Baptist prepares us for a new exodus in the true promised land by introducing us to Jesus, who would later send the Spirit of God himself to be with us. Just as God led the Israelites out of slavery to Egypt, Jesus would lead people from every tribe, tongue, and nation out of spiritual slavery. And he would lead them out of slavery to sin, through dying, on the, or through dying in their place, through taking his rightful place as the king of the world, and by sending us his Holy Spirit to live on the inside of our hearts. It's interesting that, that John chose to baptize in the Jordan River because the last, eight, the last great act that led the Israelites into the promised land was God parting the Jordan River. So he's pointing back to that. John's saying, I'm going to do one last great act in the Jordan River, before Jesus, who's going to come and bring you into the true promised land. But what is the true promised land? Is it getting all your dreams to come true? Is it, is it God giving you everything you want? Is it being able to do whatever you want? Is that what it is? Is it, is it living in a certain geographical location, having a certain job, having a certain spouse? Is that the promised land? No. The promised land is life with God. It's God, Yahweh, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, coming to live with us. It's the presence of God on the earth and in your hearts. 
It's the kingdom, it's being a part of the kingdom of God where Jesus reigns and rules. It's the land of being forgiven and set free from our sin. Can I get an amen? Set free from our sin. Come on. That's what he came to do. He came to set us free. It's the land of being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with God himself. Just as John dunked people in water to symbolize repentance and forgiveness, the Messiah would immerse people in the Holy Spirit. In this true promise, land, every person who follows Jesus will have the Spirit of God living on the inside of their hearts. In the Old Testament, uh, the Spirit was only available to prophets, priests, and kings, but now he's available to all of us. And the Old Testament prophesied this. It says in Ezekiel 36, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I, will re- and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. We're talking about the promised land right here. When you come to faith in Christ, he gives you a new heart. He gives you a new spirit. He takes your hard heart and gives you a tender one. He helps you to be led by his very voice, and he puts his spirit in you and helps you to obey him. But not just that. He offers the opportunity to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be filled, to be dunked, to have your lives plunged in the Spirit of God. We can not only have access to the Spirit, but have lives that are overwhelmed by the Spirit. And this was also prophesied about in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2, it says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, even on the male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. When the spirit is poured out on us, we prophesy and we become God's mouthpieces on the earth, just like John was. We talk about using our voices. This is how we get filled with the Holy Spirit. We can become a prophet for God. We can go speak his word to our community. Just before Jesus left earth, in Acts chapter 1, he says, I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit, and you're going to be empowered to, or to, be my, or to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We can be baptized or empowered by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and be continually filled with him by asking God in prayer and through relationship with him to do it. And we see this happen repeatedly throughout the book of Acts, uh, believers being baptized and filled with the Spirit. And we talked about this experience a lot during our Wind of God series, which is the series we just came out of, and, and that took a couple 50-minute sermons, okay? And this, uh, hopefully this one's not getting close to that. We'll see. But the point is, I'm not going to go through it all again. If you want to go back and listen to Wind of God, go for it, and we'll talk more about the baptism of the Spirit during that series. But, but for this morning, I just want you to get that John came to prepare us for the God who would not only forgive us for our sins, not only make us or give us opportunity for, for right relationship with God, but also he would fill us with himself. We can be set free, we can be baptized in water as a symbol of forgiveness, and we can also be baptized in the Spirit so that we can have power and be overwhelmed with God himself. Jesus came to prepare us for this promised land. He wants to send us on a new exodus out of Egypt, out of the Egypt of our old lives, and send us into the true promised land that is not a geographical location, but it's life with God himself. This is good news. This is gospel This means we do not have to be stuck in our old ways of living. It's so easy in the the American Christian life to live life we're still in bondage in Egypt. We can live lives that are in bondage to sin and into the ways of the world. We can so easily get trapped in bad ways of thinking. We can fall into narcissism and selfish living. We can live lives that are all about ourselves and in lives of fear. 
But what Mark is telling us is that Jesus is, did not come simply to get you out of hell and into heaven after you die, but he came to set you free now. He came to deliver you from your personal Egypt and give you a new exodus. As we follow the cries of the messenger and we repent of our sins, as we get baptized and receive the spirit of God, we can enter the true promised land. And with that said, we finally got to the main idea. It's this, Jesus came to bring us into the true promised land of freedom from sin and life with him. That's the purpose of your life, to truly know Jesus, to be set free from sin, to live your life with him. That's what you were created for. If there's a God-sized hole in your heart, that's why. You were created for a land flowing with spiritual milk and honey. When I was a kid and I'd read that, even recently I read that, I'm like, like, why is milk and honey good? I don't know, for me it'd be like Coca-Cola and chicken strips, but the point is, which I'm probably going to Raising Cane's after this, we'll see, so we'll, we'll get to the promised land in a few minutes here, but, but the point is, <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with that. Actually, I'm just going to drop that, no, but the point, I'm trying to say that God wants to bring you to the promised land, but spiritually speaking, and that's life with him, okay? So it's easy to skim over John the Baptist's story. I tell you, this, was, this might have been the hardest sermon I've ever prepared, because now we're in a verse-by-verse -verse sermon series, which means I get to preach whatever comes next. So next week, We'll get in verse 9. We'll see how that goes. But, uh, but this is a difficult sermon series, and it's easy, or sermon, and it's, it, it's easy to just kind of pass by John the Baptist, but I really believe that his message is for each one of us today. We can so easily get caught up in our, or doing our own thing and hanging out in Egypt or Babylon while Jesus is waiting to take us on a new exodus, an exodus out of our old lives and into a new life of freedom and power. So the question that I think we need to consider this morning as we prepare to go out from here is, what are the things that you need an exodus from today? What are the things that are holding you back from the true promised land of life with God? Maybe you come in here this morning and you need God to deliver you from spiritual apathy. And maybe your problem is not that your desires are too strong for sin, but they're too weak for God. I'm going to say that again. Maybe the problem is not that you want to sin so bad. There's all these sins in your life, but your desires are not strong for God. And you need an exodus this morning. You need an exodus from weak desires, and you need to get to the promised land of unquenchable passion for Jesus. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, the baptism and fire. You need that. You need passion for Jesus. Jesus wants to bring you on that exodus this morning from apathy. I believe that. I felt that specifically very strong in my heart this because I was praying that God was going to set people free from apathy. Or maybe you came in here and you're in a physical Babylon. Your body is not working the way you want it to. And it frustrates you so much because you can't operate the way you want to. And you need healing this morning. God is in the business of healing our bodies. Or maybe you're in an emotional Babylon. The quality of your, of your life is being being threatened by mental health struggles or bitterness towards someone who hurts you or wounds from the past. The God of Israel, Yahweh, Jehovah Rapha, which means the God who heals, he wants to heal you this morning. Or maybe you're chained to an addiction and you need the Spirit of God to breathe over your life. You need him to part the Red Sea, so to speak. And maybe you feel like this addiction is going to be with you forever. I've had those addictions and I felt like this will be with me until I get to my grave. But today, Jesus is here and he's saying to you, you do not have to stay in that. I can set you free. I can give you an exodus from that. Just as the Israelites needed a move of God to be let go by Pharaoh, if we want to be set free from these things, we need God to move. 
Or maybe you're still in a spiritual Babylon. You are not in right relationship with Jesus. You have never received forgiveness from your sins. The beautiful thing today is I don't got 10 steps to a better life for you. I don't got, hey, you do this and that and that, and then God will love you. I don't got any of that. What I got for you is a message that Jesus, a real person who is God himself, came and he lived and he died and he rose again. And if you trust in him, you can have that same resurrection life flowing through your veins. You can have the spirit of God living in you. All you got to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. God is faithful and just to forgive us when we confess our sins to him. So this morning, maybe you need to be made right with God. If that's you, today's your day. I believe that. Today is your day. Confess your sins to God. Say, Jesus, I put all my hope in you. I don't got nothing else. Just as the Jewish people realize we need to get baptized in this river because this isn't working for us. Uh, Maybe that's you this morning. You're saying, my old life is not working. I need a fresh start. I need God to do a new thing in my spirit. I love it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And the old has gone. Behold, the new has come. I believe that Jesus wants to do that all across this room this morning. With that said, I want to stand to our feet. So if you want to jump up, I just want to give us just a couple more minutes. I know this has been a a bit longer service with having a missionary and all of that, and I preached a little long today, but I want to give us a couple more minutes to wait on God and see what he might want to do. We can't hear messages like this about spiritual exodus and all this stuff and not respond, okay? Because God wants to speak. So I want to give us a couple minutes with the worship song, and we're also going to have a prayer team, just um, Avery and Noah, Rock, you're going to come up here, and they'll be available to pray with you over here. A, a wonderful couple, if you want God to, if you, or if you want someone to pray with you, they'll be available. But I want to take these last couple minutes just to let God do what He wants to do. Let God do things that only He can do. So let's pray and see what God wants to do this morning. So Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come together in your house and be together as your people. God, we thank you that it, at times when we're in Babylon or Egypt, you don't just leave us there. You don't just keep heaping stuff on us, but God, you want to come and set us free. You want to make a highway through the desert. So Jesus, I pray right now that you would make a highway through the desert in so many lives in this room. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for everything you're doing in your name. Amen.